Uh, all right, remember the rules. Drink whenever someone says Joey Bosa. Dear God, I only have one beer in here. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the first of at least two episodes covering the NFL Draft. It is the first round, it is Thursday night, and whoa man, did we get uh, everything we expected we would get. And with me this week, to tell us about his favorite flavor of Giant's Milk, <laughs> it's David Newman. David, what's love, up? Love a little Giants milk. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean. I don't know that I want whatever milk the Giants are drinking, no. but some Giants milk is, is Gettleman, solid. Gettleman has no idea what the hell he's doing. It's fine. Um, it's, uh, would you drink your milk in a big gulp? You know, just a giant big gulp? That's no, all I'm saying. No, Maybe. Yeah, no. uh, so 49ers select Nick Bosa, defensive end out of Ohio State. Shocker. I know, it's a shocker. But you know what? If... Kyler Murray was going to go first overall, and the Niners did not get a King's Ransom to trade down. This was one of the top options, and honestly, this is exciting because we're going to give you a full scouting report of Nick Bosa in this week's episode. Well, the, the first of two episodes over the course of the draft, and we're going to go back to the same breakdown that we had last year where we were breaking down prospects more in depth. The first thing we're going to cover is their athletic profile. Then we're going to talk about production. We're going to talk about where the player wins any potential limitations, and then we're going to round it out with projected impact for Nick Bosa because this is, I mean, this is, yes, expected, and yes, it's something that we, I mean, I mocked it in the SB Nation mock draft, and, and it's expected, but it, it was expected because for a long time, this player was considered the best player in the NFL draft. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I think he's, he's very clearly, to me, the best non-quarterback in this draft, right? So I think once you remove quarterback from the equation, it was really a two-man race between Bosa and Quinton Williams as the best player here. I think this just made a lot of sense. If you're going to stay there, right, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the value that you might be able to gain from moving back, but if you're going to stay at two and pick a player uh, with only Kyler Murray off the board, like this just made too much sense. You have a very, very good prospect uh, at a position of value that is also a position of need. And, and so just kind of all of those things aligned. And, and so, yeah, I think it's a kind of a no-brainer selection if you're going to stay there, too. And John Lynch in his press conference said that Nick Bosa was a player the 49ers coveted for a long time. You're you're ebulliating right now. What happened on the Twitters? Oh, my God, the Raiders just took a run. The Raiders are uh, on fire tonight. So uh, the, the other thing yeah. about this episode, ladies and gentlemen, is unlike our other episodes, there are live things happening in the draft while we're recording. Uh, what pick are we at right now? Uh, so that was 24 right now where we're at. So the Raiders just, just took uh, Josh Jacobs. <laughs> um, oh, man. man. Running backs. Hell of a night. Way, to, way to spend first of two... Two, your first two of three first round. Yeah, because I mean they got Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Farrell uh, at, at four. At four, yeah, which was I mean, at, like I said on Twitter, we would have given him Eric Armstead for a lot less, uh, and and so you know, hey, what happens? But let's get to Nick Bosa's athletic profile because it's it's when you look at his athletic profile, it's one of the things that edge rushers really need to have to be successful. That's not to say that you won't be successful if you're not an athlete, but chances are, if you're a good edge rusher, it's because you're a solid athlete. And Nick Bosa is the 11th best athlete in this draft class. He's a better athlete than 74% of the edge players in the NFL. So he clears a very, very important bar. His physical skills are simply not a limiting factor. And then it goes to technique. 
Right. I think, you know, athleticism is something that we're continuing to learn more and more about and, and how important it is at, uh, you know, not just, I think, for for most all positions, really, at, at this stage, you know, with with maybe the exception of like quarterback and, you know, a, a couple others. But, uh, you know, we, we see that it is very important kind of across the spectrum of positions. And then I think even beyond that, there are a few where it is really important to have certain athletic traits. And I think edge rusher is one of those you want to clear that athletic threshold it just it, it it it's tough to take a chance especially high in the draft on an edge rusher that's a bad athlete like you just don't have many of those guys that pan out and so while yes he he may not be the athletic freak that a player like Montez Sweat or Rashawn Gary or Brian Burns might have been like he is well above the the threshold of athlete that you want to see for for a quality player um no surprise, very similar athletic profile to his brother, Joey Bosa. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, he clears the bars that you want there. Everything, you know, looks good. And that stuff shows up on tape, right? We see that athleticism translate onto the field, which, of course, is the most important thing. So per Cynthia Freuland of Freeland, Freuland, not sure, but, you know, Freeland. names are thing. Uh, per Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network, she points out that Nick Bosa ran the short shuttle in 4.14 seconds and had a 10-yard split on his 40-yard dash of 1.55 seconds. Both of these numbers beat the combine results of his Pro Bowl brother, Joey, and per Freeland, Freeland, I'm just going to mess it up either way. It doesn't matter. Uh, These two tests have been more correlated to NFL defensive end success than the full 40-yard dash, which makes a whole hell of a lot of sense because it's the short area quickness, it's getting off of the line, and Nick Bosa is very good at those two things. Right. I think that's actually one, like, uh, I think probably overall, Joey's a, maybe a little bit more well-rounded athlete. I think change direction might be a little bit better for him. But that one five five ten 10-yard split uh, is something that's apparent. When you look at it really kind of drilling on the third downs where he's really looking to get off the ball quickly, right, in obvious passing situations, um, you do see that first step quickness is, is really good. And he covers a lot of ground in his initial few steps in his rush. And I think that's something that we see reflected in that 10-yard split. Other player on the 49ers defensive line that compares physically to Nick Bosa, Contavious Street. Forgot about him, didn't you? Who's that? Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to be there. Doesn't ring a bell, sorry. He's a player. He exists. Uh, and he is on the 49ers, uh, in addition to a whole bevy of first-round picks. I don't believe you. Uh, well, no. keep drinking your beer. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just say Joey Bosa. Drink. Uh, all right, so let's get to production. So production is another area that you are looking out of your top prospects to have because if they have uh, their physical talents well, you expect those physical talents to shine, especially in college. And that's exactly what Nick Bosa did. He won on over 25% of his pass rush attempts in college. That was the second highest overall. And as a true freshman, if you just look at his true freshman play, he had a higher pass rush win rate than Brian Burns, Cleland Farrell, and Jakai Po... Oh man, I did it again. Jakai Polites. (laughs) <laughs> Jakai Plight. There you go. Uh, he had this past season. <laughs> uh, right. So I think from a, from a production standpoint, um, there are very few players that have been able to match the the overall level of production. When you look at their entire career, um, you know, at least since uh, we at PFF have been grading college football, like which goes back to the 2014 season now. So in that time frame over the past five seasons, um, I mean, really the only player, you know, that, that is a, a top prospect because, you know, you get some uh, players from smaller schools that kind of dominate. Ron Bingham is a guy like that, like the guy that he's second to in that win rate 
is Bingham because he was just kind of demolishing these uh, tackles that had no business blocking him. Um, but you look at kind of the, the the top prospects that went at the top of the first round here. I mean, it's, it's Bosa and Miles Garrett are basically the two guys that are at the top of our grading system, um, you know, through the five years that we've been doing this. So really across the board, everything that you'd like to see, you, you, know, you mentioned the win rate, which is fantastic. Just to kind of put that in context, usually you're, you're looking at a, a win rate in kind of the, the upper the teens. teens. Yeah. If your your best players are, are really in that like upper teen, maybe 18, you get, 19%. If you're really, really good, you'd like top 20. Yeah. Like a, like a fantastic season. It's not something that you would like maintain right over uh, a long stretch of time, but you like maybe your best season, it reaches 20 or a little higher. He won on over a quarter of his pass rushes uh, over his college career. So, I mean, just a, a phenomenal win right there. Not a lot of cleanup pressures. So when you look at the, just kind of the, the raw pressure totals, sometimes that can be a little misleading. You know, we see things like uh, like Vic Beasley is a good example of having uh, seasons where he had a lot of pressures, but the way he got those pressures wasn't really indicative of his ability as a rusher, right? It was, it was situations where he was left unblocked or, uh, you know, things that where the play broke down that made it easier for him to get a, a pressure. So one Didn't of the see reason, a lot of that from one Bosa. of the reasons why we weren't super high on Ezekiel Ansah, right? Cause you looked right. at Ezekiel Ansah's sack numbers and his sack numbers beguiled his pass rushing ability because a lot of it was cleanup stuff. But when you look at the overall pressures that Nick Bosa had, that wasn't the case. Only eight of his 119 pressures were clean, were cleanup pressures which means that he was earning all of those pressures because he's just damn good at football. Yeah, I think uh, it's, I mean, that's, that's basically like he is really, I think one of the top prospects at the position to come out uh, in the last few years. I think there's, there's not a lot to point to that's, that's really wrong with his game. Well, when you look at, uh, when you look at his hand size, even though he's not a quarterback, let's take a look there for a minute. Only five missed tackles in his three years at Ohio <laughs> State. So he is on the opposite of the Solomon Thomas spectrum when it comes to missing tackles, which is good because, of course, the 49ers missed one whole hell of a lot of tackles, basically all across their defense. Uh, but, you know, Nick Bosa not going to have that problem. He's got 49ers, uh, you could say, might have had Solomon Thomas sized hands when they were making that selection. <laughs> Uh, didn't quite get everything that they were hoping for. Good um, lord! Uh, it, now I'm just imagining the Geico Gecko with a Thanos uh, with a Thanos glove. <laughs> it's just like that Solomon Thomas. That's how we're gonna fix Solomon Thomas. Just put little stones Give him on, the his, on his Infinity Gauntlet. That's right. Let's do it. Uh, so where does Nick Bosa win? Well, he wins with his hands because he is an absolute technician when it comes to keeping tackles hands off of him. The one of the top things that you look at, I think, and I think this is tough for college prospects as well, because you don't often see guys that are very refined in this area. A lot of times this is something you're pointing to is like, okay, he shows some flashes of things, but he needs some polish, right? He needs to be able to continue to work in this area. Um, Bose is probably among the more refined prospects in this regard that, that we've seen come out in recent seasons. I mean, just very good, not only from uh, kind of a variety of moves, but I think his timing is very good as well. So one of the things that you'll see when he looks to kind of shoot his hands out and, and meet the tackle, um, the timing of being able to recognize when the tackle is trying to punch and, and get his hands on him and being able to knock those away or get a hold of him, you know, go into his pass rush move at that point uh, is, is very, very good. You rarely see him kind of shoot his hands late or, or be able to react to what the tackle's doing late. So timing is very good there. And then, you know, again, once he 
actually is is going into his pass rush moves, you see just kind of more refined hand usage and more variety of moves with his hands um, than you're used to seeing with college prospects entering the, the NFL. Now, he does have a preferred pass rush move, and he calls it the side scissor. And, and effectively, it, you're, you're chuckling. It sounds grosser than it is, but it's just, it's just what he does with his hands. So effectively, as the tackle gets ready to punch, stop laughing. It's just what Joey some, some people do with their hands. More. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so right as the tackle gets ready to punch, which is really a move that's meant to knock the defender off course, Bosa is able to swipe the hands away as the tackle is leaning forward. And basically in that moment when the tackle's like, oh no, I've made a terrible decision. And they're <laughs> leaning forward over their hands and they're contemplating you know, the, the nuances of black holes in the Higgs boson molecule. Uh, Bosa's already around the corner and he's able to get past the tackle absolutely clean without getting stopped or impeded on his way to beating up the quarterback. Um, so, I mean, it, it really is, that's his go-to move, but he's still, even though uh, he has a go-to move and it's very, very effective, he's still able to win in multiple ways if that doesn't work. Right, and I think that gets to what's probably my favorite thing about his game, which is, uh, you know, what we'll call pass rush plan. And so kind of the the thing that I'm referring to when when talking about that is, it's it's not just, you know, necessarily like, predetermining like, oh, oh, I'm going to switch up my moves this way, right? I think it, it really all comes down to your ability to recognize what the tackle is doing with his set and then have a move that corresponds with that, right? I have a way that I can win based on what the tackle is giving me here. So if the tackle is, you know, cheating inside a little bit, he kind of wants to lean heavy on the inside, I have the outside move that I can beat him with. If he oversets, because I've beat him to the outside a few times now, and he's really looking to get wide and, and take away that outside move, I'm able to recognize that quickly, and I've got the inside move to counter, right? If he leaves his chest open, if he's got his hands out wide, and he's, he's got that there, I've got the bull rush that I can go to. I can get my hands in his chest, really drive him back. So it's, it's the ability to recognize what the tackle is trying to take away, and not only... And being able to do that in, in a time that's quick enough that I can react to it and, and have a, a move that I can go to that allows me to win and get to the quarterback. And I think that's something uh, that he does better than any other player in this, pro, in this draft class. Bosa won with an outside move every 8.8 snaps, and he won with an inside move every 17 and a half snaps. And that inside move is really, really devastating. Shaw on the NFL Network broadcast pointed out that his inside move was really, really nasty, and he's absolutely right. His, his ability to move inside when that tackle sets too far to the outside is absolutely devastating. And this was one of the reasons why we liked him more so than someone like Josh Allen, because Josh Allen was probably a nudge better of an athlete overall, not even by a whole hell of a lot. I think it was like yeah. by a, not by much when you look at their spark scores, but when, when you look at the ability to have a tackle, take one move away and then counter with something else and still succeed. That's something that Josh Allen didn't do overall repeatedly on tape. And Nick Bosa, when we get to his refinement as a pass rusher, I mean, he's able to win inside, outside. He's got a go-to move. But even if you take away that move, he's able to counter with a lot of things. And I mean, it, it's really, it's exciting. I know that we probably would have preferred a bit of a trade down, but this is one hell of a consolation prize because he's really, really good. He's great, not just in this draft, but across other drafts. And he does the things well that project well to the NFL. And, and I mean, overall, I, I probably, you know, couldn't be any more happier other than a trade down that the Niners ended up with someone like Nick Bosa. Exactly. I think, you know, and, and this is something that we talked about a lot, obviously, leading up to the draft. But 
there, there's always a lot of value to be had if you can trade down from one of those top two picks, right? The opportunity to accumulate a bunch of picks and, and get more opportunities to select players is always very enticing and, and something that every team, I think, in that position should consider. But obviously not everybody's trading out of those picks, right? You're going you're gonna to sit there and you're going to make some picks. And, and if you do that, you want a player that's worthy of that high selection. And, and it's, again, it's a matter of uh, the prospect being good enough, him playing a position that's important and actually having the ability to come in and, and help your team win games. And I think that's something that Bosa does bring to the table. Again, he would be a good prospect, not just in this draft class, but in any draft class that he were to enter, he would be a top five player. And, and so I think that that's the guy that you feel excited about. If you're going to stay up there and not look at the trade down scenarios, that's the guy you want to feel excited about. Yeah. I mean, he, he's the nexus of all the things that you want out of a pick in this area, right? He is just like you said, he plays a, a position of value. He is incredibly good at that position of value. He had collegiate production. He is an athlete. He takes all of the boxes and He's a 49er. And so when you look at his limitations, right, what are the dings on someone like Nick Bosa? Well, I think you've got to start this section off by pointing out that Robert Sala absolutely covets covets coverage from his linemen uh, because, you know, nose tackles and coverage are exactly what you want to do. So we have no other option than to think that he's going to drop Nick Bosa into coverage repeatedly. And I don't know that that's really Nick Bosa's strength. (laughs) Only three coverage snaps in his entire college career. Because Ohio State uh, knows what the hell they're doing with defensive linemen who can rush the can't passer. Can't play defensive back. That's <laughs> uh, basically all I've got for you for limitation. I mean, you know, it's it's tough. I think um, you there never... Are, there are many. You, yeah, you never want to come in, uh, you know, with with the impression that a college prospect doesn't have places to improve or anything like that. It's not, it's not that. Um, and, and he by no means is a perfect prospect and, and isn't... Uh, a player that there's zero chance that he's going to fail, right? It's not, we're not saying any of those things, but when you look at his game at the the college level, at least like he does so many things, like the best thing about him is that he does so many things well, and, and there's just no glaring weaknesses. I mean, we mentioned earlier that he had the second highest pass rush grade in this class behind Ron, uh, behind Bingham. Um, he has also the second highest run, uh, run defense grade, which, you know, again, we're not going to talk in depth about run defense. It's kind of a secondary thing compared to, pass rush at the position that he plays. But it's important that he can do it. But he does it. He does that at a high level too. You're not going to point that to a uh, point to that as a weakness. So um, yeah, I don't know, you know, really where you're going with his game. Uh, You know, I I think the only thing if I was really, really looking to get nitpicky would be that, okay, he's not the super high end athlete. He's not the miles Garrett style athlete. And uh, you know, then you have obviously uh, the injuries, I think, is maybe the thing that yeah. other people would point to. So I think if you're a, a someone who's not super excited about this Bosa pick, you're probably looking at one of two things, one of which we try to stay away from, but I think we'll address on this show. But the primary thing, I think, is that he is maybe considered to be injury prone. Of course, in college, he suffered a bilateral growing lower abdominal injury, which basically means he messed up some shit on both sides of his groin slash abdomen. Um, and from all accounts, though, this is not an injury that lingers. And the, the number one thing I think that we forget about when it comes to the combine are those medical checks. The medical check is super important in the combine. And this is where the doctors are take these players through the paces, put them through their own version of physicals and are able to get data about that player's, you know, potential re-injury risk. And you've got to think that the Niners have good enough doctors to be able to identify whether or not this is going to be an issue. Um, and now they've got a whole new medical squad to be able to do this kind of stuff, right? So it's not an injury like, you know, a, a tendon injury or no cartilage in your knee kind of thing that could potentially be a long-term issue. So 
you, you've got to think that, all right, sometimes injuries are fluky. Football's dangerous. And the nature of his injury is not one that makes you think it's going to be a chronic or repetitive type of thing. Right. And, that, and that's really the, the only thing that matters. Um, you know, guys are going to deal with injuries in, in all likelihood. Um, and you just want things that aren't ones that tend to linger. And, and yeah, like you said, by all accounts, this is something that it's healed. It's ready to go. Shouldn't be a problem going forward. And, and that's really all that you can, you can hope for. Yeah. And I mean, if you're, if you're super on the fringe, you might think to yourself like, Oh, he gave up on his teammates by not playing. But I mean, I, don't, nah. I don't no, we're not that. trying to go down like it, but nah, nah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But there is something else that that's happened recently that honestly, I kind of wanted to stay away from, but a couple sure. of news stories recently wanted that just kind of brought it back to the fore. And that's honestly his politics. He has made a, uh, some waves about being kind of pro-Trump and then deleting those tweets. And, and now there's a couple of stories about how he's followed a couple of white nationalist Twitter handles and has for years. Uh, and one of those accounts specifically has thrown up white nationalist hand signs. They support the Proud Boys, which is an extremist group that have been banned from several social media sites. And they have, uh, the Twitter handle that he follows has defended the Charlottesville white supremacist protest. So, you know, all of those things, I think, pulled together, I, I can understand why people are a bit concerned. Because if it's just he's a conservative and he's pro-Trump, well... So what? You probably work with about half of a workforce at your company that's pro-Trump, right? It, it, that's just the way of the world. And, and that doesn't mean that someone is not able to do their job or is not necessarily a good person. But the whole white supremacy thing, I think, adds a different level that like, gives me a bit of pause, maybe. Right. I think that's, that's kind of the key part, right? I, I think um, you know, we don't have necessarily a ton that we want to get into here. I mean, we don't like to get in the habit of judging the character of people that we've never met. You know, I think that's something that we see a lot around draft time. And, and a lot of it uh, is, is a lot of bullshit, honestly. And, and so I think as a lot of it is stuff that doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I think some of that stuff does seem to, to cross a line that you're not totally comfortable with. You know, you don't want uh, somebody that, that is uh kind of publicly advocating for some of that stuff, um, which is tough. But yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the the important thing is whether he can come in and, and be a good teammate and if he can get the acceptance of his teammates. Um, you know, obviously we have outspoken guys. I mean, uh, it's not just like Colin Kaepernick wasn't the only 49er that, uh, you know, had public views about this kind of stuff. I mean, you have Richard Sherman that's there that's going to be in the same defensive huddle as him. Uh, you know, if he can win the acceptance of those guys and everybody in that locker room is comfortable with who he is as a human, I mean, that's the the, the important thing that uh, is going to determine whether he is a productive player for the 49ers. Ultimately, can he be a good teammate? I think by all accounts, the answer is yes. And if that's the case and he's respectful to everyone else in the locker room, I don't know that it's an issue either way, but let's get to his actual projected impact on the football field, because this is where we get back into the super exciting stuff, because there are now five first round defensive linemen on the 49ers, and there is a lot of capital in the front seven. You've got D Ford, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, and Nick Bosa. That is first round defensive linemen in consecutive drafts. <laughs> Uh, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. Uh, I mean, one of those things isn't quite like the others. Um, it's a lot of talent up there. I think you immediately go from, you know, what was one of the worst edge groups in, in the entire NFL last year to one of the best, uh, potentially one of the strongest. Yeah. I think, um, you know, again, for all of D Ford's potential flaws, like 
if he's your number two, that's still pretty good, right? I think, and I think that's kind of where we expect him to be uh, with with Bosa. Maybe not in year one necessarily, but I, you know, if they're going to be there for any length of time together, uh, that's kind of how we would expect things to to go. But I think the the addition of Bosa really has the potential to set D Ford up for success. So I think one of the things that that is concerning so you know if you look back at D Ford and and kind of the things that we were worried about by adding him and trading for him it's that he had one really really strong year of production and that was it that was the only time that he's been able to produce at that level in his career and then when you look a little bit closer at that one year you realize he was set up for success like he had more favorable situations to rush the passer than basically any edge rusher in in the league. And so, I mean, you just look at the talent that he had around him, right? You look yeah. at Chris Jones and you look at Justin Houston and you think to yourself, okay, offensive lines have to account for those two. Well, yeah, hopefully D Ford can win one-on-one. And especially if he's going to win with speed, all of a sudden you have a great situation for him to succeed. And that's the thing. So that's, that's what we mean by favorable situations is, he had a lot of one-on-one opportunities where he wasn't getting help from anybody. So, you know, we uh, at PFF chart every single blocking interaction on every play, and we you make see... it sound like it's a conversation. Like every interaction, like dude walks up and he's like, "Hi, how are you doing? Let's have a conversation. Let's shake hands." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, sure, something <laughs> like that. Uh, but but so you know, we we're able to see basically whether. Uh, you know, defenders are getting one-on-one opportunities, whether they're getting help, whether that's, uh, you know, they're getting chipped off the edge. So, like, uh, we we can see basically how many offensive players attempted to block them on any any given play, whether that was an an actual block that that was their assignment, they're they're kind of fully responsible for him, or whether they're just trying to kind of help and make it more difficult for him in some way. And so when you look at it from that perspective – he, again, had uh, among the more favorable situations of any edge rusher. So what you're trying to look at if you're the 49ers is, well, we want to put him as close to that position as we can to help recreate those results, right? And so I think now you're at a spot where you have DeForest Buckner, you have Nick Bosa, and if you put those guys on the same side uh, of the defensive line and you put D Ford on the opposite side, like the offensive line is going to have to slide their protection toward Bosa and Buckner. And that's going to be something that helps create more one-on-one situations for D Ford. So I think you're really looking, you know, not only are you getting a very good player in Nick Bosa, but you're potentially helping to maximize what you can get from your acquisition of D Ford. And to me, this is going to be a really interesting kind of scenario where you're looking at front seven versus coverage, because there is, I know that at PFF, they very much think that both are important. You have to be able to rush the passer. You also are, uh, it's incumbent upon you to also defend the pass because that's the most valuable play in football. But there's a bit of debate about which one is a bit more important. And the Niners have absolutely doubled down on the front seven being more important. Yep. And they've, I mean, they've got a lot of resources in that front seven, not just in draft capital, but also in paying players like Quan Alexander. Uh, and so I think ultimately it's going to be really interesting to see how that defense shakes out because if they are able to take a huge leap in terms of defensive production, then, you know, it, it will be really, really interesting to see how they do that. And, and I do think that someone like D Ford is probably going to regress a bit because he's, he had an absolute stellar season last year mm-hmm. and maintaining that pace, both in terms of sacks and in terms of just absolute, absolute pass rush win rate is going to be difficult. But even if he takes a step back, he's still going to be a very, very good player. And if Nick Bosa can help him do that and DeForest Buckner can do that, I think that overall is an absolute net win for the 49ers and something they're going to need in order to close out games because they're not going to be 
good enough to blow out teams and blow out teams consistently. So they'll probably be in a lot of really close games and they're, they're going to need someone to help close those games out when it's a one score game, four point game, three point game or something. And, uh, you know, they're going to need some kicker not named Robbie Gold in order to win the game. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be something that I think is important. And it absolutely can unlock the 49ers defense in a way they haven't had in a long time. Right. I think, you know, and this kind of gets into, you know, looking ahead to day two of the draft a bit. But um, coverage is still something, right, that they need to be. I think that 100% over the rest of this draft needs to be the primary focus. They need to be adding players in the secondary and looking for ways to improve from a coverage standpoint, um, you know, they're, they're, I think in a very good spot. I think this first round is played out about as well as it could for them. If they were going to stay at two and take Bosa, right there, there is where it right now, uh, pick 27 is the last one, uh, off the board, which was Jonathan Abraham from Mississippi state going to the Raiders, uh, not a single cornerback off the board at this stage. So everybody that we've discussed, all the top three cornerbacks, greedy, Deandre Baker, Byron Murphy, you know, some of the, the next tier prospects that we like guys like, uh, the Michigan player, Justin Lane and, uh, Long, right? Justin Long. Yeah, Dave all the Long. L's basically. Uh, it's like and then Lane, Long, Love. Yeah, and then you've got uh, you know guys, maybe even a third round there, guys like Sean Bunting that we talked about during the last episode. Uh, so there, there are players that I think that they can go and get, and they should look to get multiple options from from that. Like they need to find something that can hit, and I think that's really the key because we saw last year. You know, you look at uh, where D Ford was coming from from with the Chiefs, and they had. All the players you mentioned, right? They had uh, Houston and, and Chris Jones to, to go with D Ford there, had one of the best pass rushes in front fours in the NFL, and their defense was still horrible because they couldn't cover anyone. So it, it is very much, you know, you need a little bit of both at least. Like, you can't be so bad in coverage uh, that your, your pass rush doesn't have time to get there. So you still need to work at improving in that area. If you can get to even an average level of coverage, then your your front four that you've spent so much you know money and resources on has the best chance to really go out there and and have the largest impact. So I think yeah, that's really what we're looking for day two is is to go out there get some coverage ability. All right. So what would be your pick in the second round then? Because you've got a lot of people available. I mean, you've got basically at this point all the wide receivers available. Yeah. Um, and you've got really has a corner. I mean, Savage was taken, which was. Uh, someone that we were crushing on just because we liked his game in general, but yeah. bunting is still available and you still, I mean, you still have just about all the corners available. Yeah, so no, no, literally all the corner. Yeah. Not a single corner. So we just had another pick. Jerry Tillery went to the Chargers at 28. So right now we're at the final four picks of the first round that yeah. are going to go here probably after we finish recording. Uh, not a single cornerback. I mean, I think if Deandre Baker, greedy Williams is there, uh, at 36, you, you Go need to be them. going after one of those players. Would you um, take one of those players over your, over like AJ Brown? Yes. 100%. Um, I, the, the reason that receiver I think was in consideration at 36 is if these cornerbacks the top corners were went gone. in the first round, right? Yeah. If, if suddenly, uh, you know, your top three, top five guys were, were gone and off the board at 36, like, okay, that's probably a spot where we can get some better value at receiver. And we start looking at that deep group that you have on day two there. Um, but no question, all things being equal, 
you need coverage far more than you need another wide receiver. And, and so I think, uh, yeah, especially if some of these top guys are still on the board there, uh, that's that's where you need to be looking at 36, no question. Yeah, and honestly, I can't say that I disagree too much there. I, I think you go coverage, you go corner, and you go with the top person on your board. And I think for us, it was Baker. Um, and, and I could easily see that team going with Greedy, especially because he's got more of the athletic profile, I think, that the, the Niners want to go after. But the, that's that's where I would go. I would go corner. Because yeah, that's I mean, the things board, are, that's again, where value, that's where you get right. value right now. Things are, are, are looking really well. I mean, only two defensive backs total have gone in Savage yeah. and Abraham. So, uh, I mean, those are, are both kind of box safeties, you know, positions that we're not, you know, really looking for quite as much, you know, as, as we are cornerback and free safety. Um, so I think, yeah, they're, they're on the board. Even Adderley, you know, if you do get a run, of of cornerbacks here like if baker greedy or both run gone three people yeah yeah right exactly uh you know the in, in the next what five six picks here uh before they're up again you know i think adderley's in the conversation there but definitely they they need to be looking secondary with 36 i think all right so last thing before we go were there any surprises so far in the first round oh man uh cleland furl uh going number four overall yeah. to to the raiders was just a, a, a complete shock i think daniel uh, jones Daniel Jones, I mean... I know that you weren't surprised. Like, you literally yelled out the name right before the commissioner read the card. Uh, and you weren't tipped on Twitter or anything. But for me, it's just like, really, Gettleman? Really? Like, are you are you this bad at this? Oh, uh, God. Yeah, I think um, that was... Again, it, it kind of leaked out that that was who they were looking at. And so it wasn't a surprise. It was just more of a... A kind of head scratching move yeah. that that's where you land. Uh, you would rather have Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley than uh, I don't know, say Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. But uh, neither here nor there. I think uh, looking at some of the other ones, I think T.J. Hawkinson going eight is a little surprising. I mean, he's a very good player. Prospect. It's a George Kittle effect, man. Everyone um, was like, oh, you know what? Tight end from Iowa. Draft him. Don't care which one. That one? Okay, let's go. <laughs> that might not even be the best one. Um, I think the Texans taking Titus Howard at 23 is a little bit. So, I mean, Alabama State. Uh, yeah. I know like people liked him as kind of more of a sleeper prospect. I think taking him... Uh, as the third tackle, I believe, off the board here is a bit of a reach and is just kind of, I mean, a team that so desperately needs offensive line help. It, it uh, sucks because th- there wasn't a ton of value at often at tackle really i mean the best center was i mean they taken. had a rough go like the 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 guy that they apparently wanted was andre dillard from washington state who was uh you know maybe the best pass protecting tackle in this class the eagles traded up one yeah. pick ahead of them to take him i mean i believe uh juan taylor is still on the board from florida he is uh, i think a much better prospect than uh then well then that's probably part Howard, that's but. probably part of their problem is that they can't scout offensive linemen to save their life yeah the I, only thing that would make that team any better would be if tom cable were their offensive line coach you know um, what I'm saying? all uh, i know the last the last parting first round note here is the raiders had three first round picks they used those first round picks on cleveland Farrell uh it for uh not even close to the second best edge prospect in this class. They went with a running back at 24 and Josh Jacobs. Don't tell Mayock running backs don't matter. And a box safety at 27 and Jonathan Abraham. Uh, the, hey, when good every, job, guys. When, when everyone zigs, good job. they zag. All right. When yep. everyone zigs, they zags. All yep. right. So uh, that about does it for this quick recap of the first round pick for the 49ers. But we will be back tomorrow and breaking down all of the day two selections with the same kind of 
rubric that we use for this breakdown. We'll talk about athletic profile, production, where that player wins, any limitations, uh, and their projected impact. So thanks again for tuning in. I hope you all had a fantastic first night of the NFL draft. And as always, go Niners.